0: Well, I uh, had COVID and I appreciate your prayers, your texts, your, your cards. I'm all better, tested negative. Again, I know that we have a number of folks who, who have it or have been exposed to people who have it. And while I was uh, vegging in front of the television, not really able to do much, I kept seeing a commercial that ended with the tagline, Hollywood in your pocket. And it was about the brilliance of our smartphones that tempt us and pull us into being the curators, the producers, the actors, the directors of our own movies. And that got me thinking about our series. You see, our lives are to be configured and seen within the grand narrative of Jesus. The way God the Father presents him, the way he puts Jesus in the foreground. And the story of Mark, the true story, friends, is not about us. We are not the central characters, and yet it is for us, because Jesus has come to be our Savior and to stand in solidarity with us. So let me pray for us before we jump into verses 9 to 13 and walk through those. Let's pray. Father, I pray that as we walk through highlights of Mark's gospel, that that we would not try to craft our own stories and define who we are based on what we want, but that we would see ourselves in the, the story, the grand narrative of Jesus. We thank you that this book is about him, and therefore it has so much to say to us and for us. I pray that as we look at these few verses, that we would be struck, that we would be encouraged, that we would be shaped, that our lives would focus on Jesus, that it would be all about him. And it's in his name that we pray, amen. About six or maybe eight years ago, a few young women in our church chose to share in the ordeal of others walking through cancer. And many of you know of these programs. They shave their heads to symbolically enter the ordeal of women and children in particular who were undergoing chemotherapy. And the idea there is to stand in solidarity, to, to raise money and awareness as well. And in some cases, these young women or people in these programs cut their hair and donate them, have them made into wigs. As if to say, if you've been robbed, my sister, my friend, if you've been robbed of your hair by cancer treatments, then I will willingly give my hair to you so that in some small way I can share in your struggle and become a part of that, at least symbolically. Well, this kind of solidarity, and it's a beautiful picture of these women and others like them who have donated their hair. I was thinking about that, and it came to mind as I read through Mark 1, preparing for this series. You see, this whole narrative, all the way through, not only this chapter, but the subsequent chapters, They are all about the Son of God's beautiful solidarity with us and therefore our solidarity with Him. But friends, unlike the thoughtful gestures of those young women giving away their hair, Jesus identifying with us truly heals us. It is not just a gesture, it is a miracle. He eternally cures our spiritual cancer, if you will, granting us His health, His life, His righteousness, His heaven, His standing before God the Father. I shared these words on Christmas Eve from the church Father Athanasius, but they bear repeating again today, and I know you weren't all necessarily here on Christmas Eve, but these words are so powerful. Athanasius wanted to maintain the fact that Christ had fully entered into our human experience. And he said, for that which Christ has not assumed, he has not healed. But friends, Christ has assumed everything. He's come to heal everything about us. And so today, as we start this overview of Mark's gospel I'm going to look at two themes. Christ identifying with us in the water and Christ identifying with us in the wilderness. Christ identifying with us first in the water. We're told that Jesus steps into the River Jordan to be baptized by John. What is he doing there? He is dedicating himself to fully identifying with us, with you and me. Now, Matthew's gospel spells this out a little more and and the logic of what is taking place here. You see, John the Baptist says, I am not to baptize you, but Jesus said it is fitting for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. You see, Jesus came and stands. He came to be our representative with us and for us. And so in His baptism, what is happening? Well, the Father is consecrating His entire life. From birth to growing up to living to dying, it was all consecrated to God on our behalf. You see, in this sign, the Father was saying to the Son, you are what theologians call the covenant head of my people. You are their federal head. You so identify with them that what is true about you will be true about them. You see, Jesus' life and his ministry, all of it was on our behalf. It was substitutionary. 1 Corinthians 15 calls Jesus the new Adam or the second Adam. And that means that just as the first Adam represented the whole human race and plunged the human race into sin and corruption and death, so, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, the new Adam represents us in obedience. He ushers us into astounding life. What is true about him before the Father is true about us. You see, Mark's gospel really ushers toward the cross and the fact that Jesus there takes our guilt away. But it's not simply that Jesus removes a a negative. Friends, he doesn't leave us neutral. He had to also grant us his positive righteousness. And so his baptism initiated him into this role as our representative, that he would be devoted to keep God's covenant terms for us, he would fulfill all righteousness. As Romans 5 says, for as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, that's Adam, sinning, in a sense, on our behalf, Paul says further, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Christ's obedience was done on our behalf and for us. Now, bringing it down to a more sort of, you know, day-to-day level, this is not a strange concept for us as human beings, really. This idea of somebody representing us. We're always identifying with others. I mean, think of sports teams. (laughs) You know, the way people somehow think of other human beings, coaches, owners, stadiums, logos, we own those things, at least sports fans do. You know, as the Rams go, I go because I'm a fan, I'm part of that team in a sense. And I think about this once in a while and I, and I say to myself, what a strange phenomenon. This is really odd and yet it's so human. You see, the victory of your team or the success of our president, our governors, our country, when our country goes to war, these things are part of who we are. Their victory is ours, and their defeat is ours. They represent us. And in the most important way, Jesus plunged himself into our experience so that we would wear him. We would wear his uniform, if you will. That's why the Bible says over and over again, we clothe ourselves with Christ because he clothed himself with our humanity. And so friends, by identifying with us in baptism, Jesus took what we're not so that we would receive what he is. 2 Corinthians 5 says so famously, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him, baptized into him, we might become the righteousness of God. So Jesus was initiating that great exchange as he stepped into the waters to be baptized by John. There's a story of a theologian, a true story, of a theologian named J. Gresham Machen. And as he was facing his own death toward the end of his life, uh, and he was losing his strength, he reached out to another theologian named John Murray, and he wrote him a letter, and this is what he wrote. I'm so thankful for the active obedience of Christ. No hope without it. You see, that's a beautiful statement. It is so right to say I'm thankful for the cross of Christ, the passive obedience, if you will, where he took my death, but I also need his active obedience, his positive righteousness. And so, friends, what this means is that when the Father looks at you, he sees you and me through the lens, through the prism of our union with Jesus the one who was baptized in the river for us. So that means what's true of him is true of you. Baptized into Jesus, his dedication to the kingdom of God is accounted as your dedication even when we're flaky. And we're sometimes flaky. Let's just be honest about it. We make resolutions to be dedicated, but then we falter from that but the Father sees us in the baptized one. United to Jesus in the waters, His focus praying is reckoned as our focus praying, even though our prayers are sometimes distracted and we end up looking at our phones more than we pray. His willingness to forgive His enemies and His friends is imputed to you and to me, even though we sometimes stew with resentment. We hold grudges. But the Father sees us in the Son and then that frees us up to become more like the Son. So often we can be so overly self-focused, all of us. But the Father sees you and me in Christ who focused on others and their deepest needs, even when he was hurting. He looked out even from the cross to focus on his mother. You see, this is what we are. We are seen in Christ. That's how the Father views us. But the text goes on and says, and the heavens opened up and the Spirit descended on Jesus to anoint him for his ministry, and a voice from heaven said, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. You see, Jesus' life and ministry for us, all of that is animated by his Father's delight in him. You are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. It's as though the Father was saying, my son, my chosen son, marked by my love. Years ago, I read somewhere that that one of the greatest assurances that we can have as believers is that the Heavenly Father first and foremost loves His Son and that He then loves us in His Son. Your Sonship, my Sonship stems from first the Sonship of Jesus. And let me explain this sort of at the human level. We get this intuitively, this primary relationship that we need. Liz has often said in our household, and she actually said it about five months ago in the kitchen, she said that she has always heard and she believes so strongly that the greatest security a child can know is that his or her dad loves her mom and that her mom loves her dad. Liz mentioned this in the kitchen, and my 25-year-old daughter, Paige, happened to be there, and she piped up and she said, that is absolutely true. And I thought, wow, that is the security that a daughter needs. Now, I share this with permission. Liz did not have that father security growing up. Therefore, she had an earthly father wound. And some of you have had this. And that is why it was so important for her to have kids who had a father who loved mom first and kids second. And friends, in an analogous way, the father's love for his son makes us secure. That's what we need. He loves us in Christ, in the beloved. And the son's love that comes from the father flows down and out to us that's why paul put expressed god's love for us in ephesians 1 in this way speaking so much about our union with christ he said in love god predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through jesus christ not around jesus but through jesus the baptized one According to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved we are blessed in the loved one that the father loves he loves you in him one in, uh, one uh, New Testament scholar basically said in a way you could sum up the whole gospel as he looked at this passage he said When the living God looks at us, at every believing Christian baptized into Christ, he says to us what he said to Jesus on that day. He sees us not as we are in ourselves, but as we are in Jesus Christ, to whom we belong through baptism. And so, friends, I I think this is so important for how we define ourselves, how we see ourselves. There was an article in a secular publication about six months ago, or maybe a year ago, and it had the subtitle, Personal Identity is Mostly Performance. And friends, I hate that title because it's so true about myself. I struggle with that, and you do too. That's how we define ourselves, is how we perform, and how others think that we perform. What kind of grades that we get, or what kind of school do we get into? When my kids were in high school, how much that mattered to me for a time, and it shouldn't. Where are my kids gonna go to college, right? We get so wrapped up in those things. We want our families to be successful, to look successful, We define ourselves by our performance review from our superiors at work or how our colleagues at work or our neighbors esteem us or rate us or how our business gets rated on Yelp. We define ourselves by how we look in the mirror or how well our houses are maintained. But this is saying what must define us is that the Father looks at us in the Son and says, you are my dear Son, my dear daughter. I am delighted with you. You are dearly loved, and you bring me great joy. So friends, this week, try reading that sentence again. Try saying that to your own heart. Reflect on it. This is what the Father says about me. You are beloved because my son is beloved. I was thinking this week about my oldest son, Garrett, speaking over his two daughters, Amelia and Lucy Jane, and how he delights in them. And even in this past week or last the week before, how he ran into their room as they started crying um, because they got the stomach flu (laughs) and they were very upset and dad ran in to the situation and shared his love with them. The flu's been going around our house. (laughs) But that voice of the father over his daughters made me think of the voice of the heavenly father over his son, which is also the voice over you. You you are my child. You are chosen and marked. You are dearly loved, and you bring me great joy. Well, the son identifies with you in the waters, and he identifies you with you in the wilderness. We're told that the spirit immediately drove Jesus out into the wilderness. In the wilderness, he was there for 40 days to be tempted by the devil. Now, this is giving us echoes of Israel's wanderings in the desert for 40 years after God rescued them from Pharaoh. And like Adam in the garden, they were tested and yet they failed. And we failed too. But now God's beloved son, the new Israel, he goes into this desolate place, not for 40 years, but in this sort of intensified experience of 40 days to represent us. And think about this. Whereas the first Adam was tested in a God-blessed garden and he fell. The second Adam was tested in a God-cursed desert, but he won. He won for us. And the deck was stacked against him. We're told by Matthew and Luke that he was tempted after fasting. He was hungry. You know how difficult it is to stand strong when you're hungry. And Matthew and Luke spell out the nature of the temptations, but Mark is brief. He just tells us, doesn't say a lot. He said he's with the wild animals. Now, when I heard this, I thought, when we think of animals, we tend to think about our domesticated pets. And our domesticated pets comfort us. Paige gave our dog Lily a stuffed animal that had a collar on it. She put the collar on Lily, and it's this cute stuffed dog. And our sweet Lily carries it around. She won't tear it up. She's torn up other things now and then. She, She brings it to us, and she takes it to her bed and puts her head on it. I mean, come on. Uh, we are comforted to have this sweet old dog around us. Many of you have met her. She leans into you to welcome you and then goes under the piano and leaves you alone eventually. We think of our domesticated pets that comfort us. These animals, though, were not there to comfort Jesus. Wild animals are mentioned to symbolize threats. And of course, the greatest threat came not from beasts, but from the roaring lion who tempted the son of God at every turn and yet Jesus endured he trusted the word of God he trusted the love of God and he stood strong and friends perhaps you're being tempted in your life right now maybe it's to look at something or indulge in something that you shouldn't Maybe it's as you deal with food and alcohol and Netflix movies and video games, maybe moderation is morphing into addiction. And when you think about this, Jesus was tempted to turn a rock into bread, but what did he say? He said, man does not live by bread alone, but by the word of God. Jesus was tempted to put God to the test, wondering if God would be there for him if he jumped. But he said, no, 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 you don't test God. You trust him. Perhaps you're being tempted to worry. Worry about financial stability or your next doctor's appointment or your next performance review. Perhaps you're worried about God's provision for you. Or perhaps you're tempted to have an overly critical spirit of your loved ones where you point out faults more than you encourage people. Perhaps you've been tempted even this week to impatience and ingratitude. But in all of this, you look to Jesus who stood strong for you. He faced the intense winds of Satan's pull and push, but he never succumbed. And so when we look to Jesus, friends, we, we are seeing somebody who's not just sovereign, but who really understands what we are going through, including the times when we are discouraged. Hebrews 4 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, somebody who's remote, who just stands above us, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. The hurricane winds came against him, yet he stood. Yet he is without sin. And so let us then draw with confidence near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need, to find the one who knows what we're going through and endure it at all. There's a song that says, before the throne of God, and it gives these words, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, well, I look there and see him there who made an end to all my sin. Part of the way Satan comes at us is that he tells us that we're inadequate He highlights our insecurities. He points out where we have failed. But when he does that, when he tempts us in those ways, we look to the one who stood in solidarity with us, who stands before the Father for us, who is baptized in the River Jordan on our behalf. Friends, his victory is yours The love of God the Father for him is the love of God the Father for you. The voice that's pleased with Christ, that was pleased with him when the heavens opened up, is the voice that's pleased with you over your life. And because Jesus chose to identify with you in the waters and in the wilderness, (laughs) You can be encouraged this year. You can stand. You can deal with any discouragement, any despair, any temptation as you look upward and see him there who not only made an end of your sin but brought into your life all of his righteousness and faithfulness and devotion to his Father. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great love for us, for sending your Son to walk through the stages of life, of human life, to experience our sorrows, our sickness, our weakness, our fears, and yet all the way through, We thank you that he was dedicated to you. We thank you for his initiation in the river where he was marked out as our representative, our federal head, the one who not only takes away our sin but grants us his sinlessness, his perfection, his faithfulness. And Father, I pray that each of us here today would trust Jesus, that that we would know that you see us in Him. You don't see our faults, our insecurities, the stupid things we do and say, the good things that we fail to say and to do, but you account us in Christ. We wear His robe of righteousness before you and we are so glad for this identity. We are so glad He identified with us. And I pray, God, that when we are in the wilderness of temptation, whether it's discouragement or enticement to things we shouldn't do or indifference or distraction, I pray that we would look to the one who takes away our sin and who is before your throne, who is sympathetic, who knows exactly what we're experiencing, and yet who did not sin. And so he can bring us through our trial. God, we thank you that Jesus withstood the hurricane force of the evil one, that even though the animals were there not to comfort him, the angels came to minister to him. We thank you that he passed the test for us. And we pray that we would know his ministry, his encouragement, that we would hear your voice saying, with you, I am well pleased, my dear children. And it's in Jesus' name and in the power of the descending spirit that we pray, amen.